You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And now, Brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. Locally owned for over 20 years, whether it's leak detection, water line repair, bathroom plumbing, New Works Plumbing is a full-service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, they've always got a fix for you. And remember, their expert technicians are available 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. My guest today... Really, when you look at his career, it it really became to the forefront when he hit one of the biggest shots in NCAA history, playing for Bobby Knight in the Indiana Hoosiers back in 1987, giving them a 74-73 win over the Syracuse Orange Men. He uh, had a very interesting playing career. We'll get into that in a little bit. And, of course, a longtime coach. He began with the Fort Wayne Fury, went on to Cleveland, head coach with the Cavaliers, the Warriors, the Kings, longtime assistant with uh, several other franchises. And now he ends up with the energetic Eric Musselman and the amazing program that they are developing down in Arkansas with the Razorbacks. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast Keith Smart. Keith, how are you? Hey, I'm I'm great, man. I tell you, I'm going to put you on my payroll with those kind of introductions, <laughs> man. That's, that's great. And, and it's great talking to you again. And, uh, you know, my moment, my time that I had a chance to spend with you out there, you know, on a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, following me around the Kings and interviewing me and things like that. So I'm glad to connect with you once again. I am very happy to connect. How on earth do you end up at Arkansas? Well, I tell you, man, you know, um, going through uh, the NBA for a long time, and then my son, you know my two boys, my yep. youngest son uh, plays football for the University of Hawaii. And, you know, he's a receiver over there, done really well, and might have a, have a chance at the next level. And, you know, he would come home with a lot of his uh, college teammates. You know, some of those guys would fly and not have to go all the way back over to the East Coast. So they would stop and stay at our house uh, when they had a break. And I just started listening to them talk, you know, just hearing them talk about, you know, what they like, what they dislike. You know, he has some big linemen that stayed with me one time. And I got up the next morning, going to do some breakfast for him. And I said, um, I said, well, what, what, what do you want to eat? They said, well, uh, Mr. Smart, can you do some pancakes? <laughs> and I said, well, sure. I said, well, how many will you want? He said, well, how many can you make? And I said, <laughs> okay. But, you know, I just started listening to them. And then I got involved with uh, Indiana, uh, went through the process with them, Indiana University. 
and went through that process and got in touch with a couple other schools. And I said, you know, if I'm going to give this a look, uh, a chance, I'm going to, uh, this is the perfect time because I was in between New York uh, and I had some opportunities to go back, but I said, if I'm going to look at college, uh, this is the right time. And all of a sudden, Eric knew that I had been involved with Indiana and some other schools. And he said, hey, if you, do you want to take a look at college? And I said, uh, well, yeah. He said, well, I got a couple spots that may be opening, and I would love to have you here. And, you know, obviously, Eric trusts me. I've been with him for so long, known him for so long. And then that's how it happened. I ended up in Arkansas. Well, when I think of Eric Musselman, who, by the way, I had on this podcast about two months ago, but I've known Mus for a long time. Uh, good luck keeping up with his energy level, Keith. That's that's. <laughs> you know, I, I want to see you keep up with his energy. Well, I tell you, you know, uh, I'm a grinder, and Eric has to have grinders around him. You know, people who want to put in that extra hour. But I tell people all the time, and I share with you. Everyone tries to run with Musselman. You cannot keep up with him. This guy is unlimited. I just tell people, you just have to stay in the herd. You don't want to be last in the herd, but you want to be in the herd running with him, not trying to pace with him. Because I'm telling you, and I've known him for a long time, and I look at it and still I say, okay, this guy is up at 5 o'clock, sending out information, wanting information. And then it's another 12 o'clock at night, and he's doing the same thing. I'm like, okay, you can't keep up with him. You just, because when I, when I first started working with him, you know, he would send out a text. And that text would be, you know, information that he wants to receive or something that, can you enlighten me on something? And I was answering all those things. Hmm. And then finally he said, Coach, you don't have to answer them. Uh, I, I just want to have it in the thread so I can always uh, reference back to that. I said, okay, thank you very much. We'll, we'll go from there. Well, it's pretty amazing what he's done at Arkansas in a short period of time. This has to be a very exciting proposition for you. I mean, what a, what a team that you could have there. I mean, Final Four aspirations. I mean, it's big time now, isn't it? Yeah, well, I tell you the one thing, you know, Eric is running this uh, like, a, uh, like an NBA uh, franchise. I mean, he's preparing these players. You can hear some of the comments of, of Moody. You know, he's preparing these players uh, for life, but also for their opportunity to get, if they get that chance, to go to the NBA. So training camp is run like an NBA training camp. Practice sessions, NBA terminology, um, video edits, are all done in the same fashion that, that I've done in the NBA. And so I didn't have to come here because I had some other opportunities to go to other colleges but I said, you know, I didn't have to change my thought process uh, as far as players you're looking for, uh, players you are um, uh, trying to develop. And so that environment that he's created is like the NBA. I mean, our practice facility is set up like an NBA training camp facility, NBA facility. So everything is, is matching the NBA, and I think that's why he's having that success. And, you know, Eric is, is – treating the portal like NBA free agency, you know? And um, so he's ahead of the game as far as that is concerned. And um, so that's why this environment and you know, this place is, this place is, um, um, it's one, there's nothing else around it, no other competition. So the university and all this uh, sports that they have here are just focusing on just the Arkansas fan base. 1987, you hit the biggest shot, one of the biggest shots in NCAA history to give Indiana the national championship against Syracuse. How did that change your life? Well, I tell you, uh, I always say and use as a example, I said the shot is always chasing me. You know, I, I got, I'm always have, I have to stay ahead of the shot because there's a moment that happened um, and never thought that I would ever be in that position. 
but I got one call and I use this a lot when I speak to people, you get one shot in life sometimes and you got to take advantage and make the most of it. And when I got a chance to go off to college with uh, the introduction of my guy named Lester Roberts, he said, you got one chance at this. And obviously the shot, you know, never thought that that would happen. But I tell people I prepared for that shot many years ago, not ever knowing that it would happen because I would practice. I wasn't on a team, but I would always go to the, the courts and practice and shoot. And I always say that uh, my friends and I, we would always shoot. And at the end of the night, before we could go home, we had to make a baseline jumper while falling out of bounds. And the reason we wanted to fall out of bounds was on the baseline was because in high school, that's where all the cheerleaders were. <laughs> so we to fall out of bounds into the arms of the cheerleaders. So when I happened to have a chance to do that, I drifted to my left and floated out of bounds. And what do you know? Uh, unfortunately, there was no cheerleaders on the baseline. <laughs> <laughs> that is unbelievable. What was it like playing for Bobby Knight? I tell you, uh, you know, there was super, super structure, uh, dynamic structure, very demanding. Um, but I tell you, you know, if you can endure the, the amount of pressure, uh, pressure that he's going to put on you as a player, um, you, you're going to be okay. You know, I, I we had our uh, former players came back when Coach Knight came back a couple of years, about a year and a half ago now. Um, and I went up to him. I said, Coach, do you remember this story? I said, uh, you had benched me for a couple games. And you never said the reason why. And I said, uh, and, and I'm calling my mom and dad, and I'm saying, I don't know why. And he said, oh, yeah, I remember that story. I had a good relationship with your mom and dad. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, because and my mom told me this. She said, when I bench you, I called them first and told them I'm going to do this to Keith because I think he's going to have to understand when he's not playing, can he still be productive? And so when I called my parents to tell them what was going on, they would say, oh, baby, just, you're going to be okay. Everything is okay. And he remembered that story. And so life will hand you those type of deals. And you have to figure out a way, how do I keep going? How do I keep moving? So from the basketball standpoint, he was pushing me extremely hard. And then uh, from a life's perspective, he was pushing me in that environment through basketball. I was in central Illinois from 84 to 87, and I don't remember which of the years it was, but Indiana was playing uh-huh. at Champaign, and I was covering the game, and it was on NBC. It was the big game of the week, and Bobby Bench, Steve Alford, and several other starters, okay, in the uh-huh. NBC game of the week, and I'll never forget him coming into the media room after the game, and he had a way of intimidating the media, as you well know, and he walks mm-hmm. up to the podium, and he just starts talking and he, he doesn't talk about anything to do with the game. He's just talking about something else. He talks for like four or five minutes. And then he says, but the one thing that I've learned more than anything is my team needs a hell of a lot of practice. And he literally walks off the podium and out of the room without taking a question. I'll never forget that. <laughs> and I tell you, I bet you they went to practice right after that, <laughs> after they got back to that arena because, uh, that you know, obviously we we had we didn't have the rules that we have now as far as uh, our restrictions and stuff like that. How much time? But uh, I tell you, man, there have been a couple games that we practiced that we had, and I he said, "Well, smart, you didn't play defense well enough tonight, so I need you to go over to um, uh, to the to the practice facility uh, next door, and we're gonna you're gonna work on your defensive slide." This was after I had played a game, you know. Sure. Um, so so you know the environment that I, I, that I function in and the, the one thing that coach that I found later on 
everything is pre-planned. Uh, they sit there and they talk about what they're going to do today. And uh, But what he tries to do more than anything else is force the team to grow together. Mm. And so he would, you know, put us through a lot of stuff, but he was trying to force the team to grow. You know, when I tell you, when we got into the tournament of play, I don't even remember hearing Coach Knight because he really backed off. He really let us play because he trusted us and allowed us to just go out and play. All right. I want to throw a couple of names at you. Uh, I want to fast forward to Golden State. I say Don Nelson. You say what? Genius. I mean, absolute genius. The time that I had to spend with him um, to share with me about the game, because when I started working there with him, I had a little no- a pad, you know, I always kept notes. And I said, Coach, what do you do in this situation here? And he said, put that pad away. You're going to know what I do by just being around me. I don't want you having a pad following me around. Just pay attention to how I'm doing things. He would post a guy up, and he said, because teams are going to come double you if you're on the low box. He said, I want to move a player to about one to two feet off the block. Now that puts you in a gray area. And now if you've got a talented player, that player can take advantage one-on-one in that area because teams say, okay, we're going to trap him when he puts it on the floor, when he put a foot in the paint, we're going to come in. Well, it kept a lot of teams off balance that way. Then he said, we're going to post guys up at the nail, you know, right at the free throw line, the middle of the free throw line. Well, no one ever done that. Well, you saw that happen with Dirk Nowinski. And then eventually it evolved to where Kobe started playing off those elbows in the, in the middle of the floor. So that, I would say, just genius. He's just a, a super genius, and um, and he he was, I coached seventeen games when he was the head coach. Right. He would never tell me he would never tell me uh, when I was going to coach. We'll be in the national and standing up for the national anthem, and he would tap me and say, "Hey, you got this one tonight." And I'm like, "Whoa!" You know. So I knew then <laughs> I had to start preparing every game like I was going to coach that game, and he was preparing me to coach to become a head coach in the NBA. And uh, we were in San Antonio, and, you know, I would talk to the team. Coach would come back in and finish up. And I was talking to the team right before tip-off. I hear this announcement on the PA. Uh, head coach Don Nelson has been ejected from the game. <laughs> we, haven't even started, we haven't even started playing yet. And I go, well, what happened? And he said, I went, I'm going at halftime, and he said, well, I wanted you to get, a, get the experience of coaching in this environment at San Antonio. Um, to see how you would handle it. Wow. And that was one moment. And then another moment when we played Philadelphia one time and I was up calling plays out. He was my assistant that night. And he just simply said, um, he said, hey, coach, uh, at what time are you going to let the players play? <laughs> you mm. know? Wow. Meaning to let the guys go out and play. And But that was, uh, he was a genius. He was a genius for what he does. Isn't it amazing how much belief they had in you and how he really, you know, mentored you and brought you along, even though you had been in a coach before that, but the confidence mm-hmm. that he instilled in you, what did that mean to you? No, that, that was great for me as a, as a, as a young coach, um, knowing and believing that I can coach in the NBA, but the fact that, you know, he started, you know, my first year with him, you know, um, you know, I would help and, and assist with uh, practice planning and game planning. And then by year two, year two and a half, I started running all of our practices and then doing all, all our game preparation and getting ourselves ready for the games. And he had totally, I would have a meeting with him. You know, he loved to smoke his cigars. And he said, uh, hey, we're going to meet in the morning in the office. I said, I'm in his office waiting for him. He called me and said, hey, where are you? I said, I'm in your office. 
He said, uh, no, come downstairs. I'm in my truck. We're going to meet him here. And that's what we did. We met in his truck, and I would show him my good practice plan, and he said, sure, we go with it. You don't ever have to ask me that. And another thing he did was real big. He was big on family. And I asked him one time, I said, hey, Coach, uh, we got this game in Phoenix, and uh, we have some relatives there. Can uh, my sons come with me on that trip? He said, make sure this is the last time you ever ask me that. When you want to bring your, your family on a trip, you just tell uh, Eric Howes at that time is, uh, was, was the equipment manager and, and uh, travel coordinator. He said, you just tell him so he can put that on the manifest. And I said, he said, look, you got to understand, this game will rob you of your family life. And I want you to make sure you stay connected uh, to the family. And I was like, so he was teaching me not only the skills on the floor as a coach, but also the skills uh, off the floor with your family. I absolutely love that. Another guy I want to talk to you about, I want to share this story with you. Mm -hmm. The night that I lost my job, I get a call from Paul Westfall. And Paul calls me and just says, hey, I'm thinking about you. If you need anything, you call me. Uh, We talked for about five minutes. And then about Mm -hmm. five or six weeks later in July, Paul calls me again. And he says, Grant, I'm just Uh checking up on you. I want to let you know that I pray for you every single day. And we talk for about 10 minutes. And then a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. later, I see the tweet put out by Mike Lupica, who is very, very close with Paul Westfall, announcing that he has brain cancer. Well, I call Paul the next morning, and he answers his phone. And I got to tell you, Keith, it was probably the most somber, sad conversation I've ever had with another human being. And I said, Paul, I just want to let you know, I know you're not on social media, but I want to let you know you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are praying for you. And he stops me and he says, Grant, no, 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 I'm praying for you. I am praying for you. And I will tell you, Keith, it was about a three-minute conversation. Uh, It was very tearful. It was the last time I spoke with him. He hired you in Sacramento to be an assistant. Uh, Paul's always been one of my favorite guys. What do you remember the most about him? A, a gift from heaven, you know, because, you know, when I, when he hired me, um, you know, I just had a hip surgery. And so they called me and said, Hey, we think we got an opportunity for you to come here. I would love to have you. And so I said, Hey, I, I just had surgery. So I'm not going to move around. He drove from Sacramento, came to my house and sat with me and talked about coming to Sacramento. And we just talked about life. He talked about coaching. He talked about when he started because he was trying to get a feel for who you were as a person, uh, not so much strategy. Obviously, if I'm calling you, I know you can coach. I know you can do player development. I, he said, you know, I just want to know who you are as a person. And that's when he started talking to myself and my wife, Carol, uh, about my opportunity to come to Sacramento. And then when I got there, it was all about, you know, how do I develop uh, these young men to be great men in the future? And so he was pouring in gifts. You know, the night that he kind of felt that he was not going to be uh, with the Kings anymore, uh, we were in Memphis, and we, we went to B.B. King's restaurant, and we had a room upstairs. So it was almost like he was prophesying this and seeing it out ahead. And we, it was like we were sitting around the table like the Last Supper, you know? Right. And he just started asking questions about what, what got you into coaching? What made you want to coach? He asked each assistant coach that, and we told our stories why. And he said, you know, I, the reason I got into coaching because there was a player when I was coaching in high school, and this player uh, was not a good player. 
but we develop a relationship and develop a partnership and we didn't win, but I knew I helped that young man to move forward. And that's what he was all about. And, uh, and then when I took over for him, I went to his office and I said, coach, man, I'm just so sorry about this, man. And he said, coach, when we went through this process with uh, Petra and I, and we knew that uh, if something was not, was not going to go right for me, that we wanted you to be the coach. So you know what I want you to do? Don't worry about me. Go in there and coach your team. And I was like, wow, this is an incredible band. Incredible. Uh, not to belabor those years, but DeMarcus yeah. Cousins was a rookie and he was so raw, and there were a lot of issues. In in hindsight, how difficult was that to have him at that stage in his career being that young and you taking over that team at that point mm-hmm. in time? Yeah, you know, I look back on it, and um, and I think I think there was a combination. He was so so raw and wanted to be wanted to be a place that he wasn't there yet from a physical standpoint as well as a mental standpoint, because now you're part of a leading the charge for a franchise. And a lot of pressure on that every day, every single day that you got to deal with the media, you got to deal with games, trying to win. Uh, then I'm a young coach coming in on a team that I don't really have the team yet. So I'm trying to push the envelope to try and get the team, you know, and you end up getting into friction, things like that, because, you know, the players know, okay, you, you're just here. You're not there. You're real coach yet. And DeMarcus was great heart. And, you know, off the floor, this man was incredible. With, with his with his givings and with everything else, you know. But on the floor, he was tough to deal with. But overall, and I told him this, I said, you know, you got to understand, 10 years from now, you know, your legacy is going to be on, on, on display. And you want to make sure your kids can see you in a real positive way when you start having children. And, um, and when I saw him later on, 10 years later with his kids and everything coming along, and he said, Coach, and I wish I could do it all over again, but you were right, <laughs> you know? Sure. And now uh, we just moved on. And life moves on. That's what you have to look at in life. Things happen, and life moves on. But I, I tried to impact uh, him uh, in a tough spot where the team was getting ready to be sold and new ownership coming in. There were just so many things, as you know, was going on at that time. And I think he got caught up, as, as we all did, got caught up in, in that transition. You know, you talk about life, you talk about preparing for the big shot. I talk about Paul Westfall and losing him Mm -hmm. uh, earlier this year uh, to brain cancer. You went through a very serious issue with skin cancer. What's the one thing that you learned the most from that? Uh, The day is the most important day, you know, because when you're going through it, you know, when I was in Miami, I was very fortunate. I got a chance to go work for the Miami Heat and that organization there, uh, from Pat Riley, the, uh, the ownership, all the way down, Spolstra, the, the, the guys in the uh, in the garage, um, you know, everyone. They're one. They're forward-thinking people. The organization is all in one line, and they're championship thinking of how they do things. And when I got diagnosed with uh, a rare case of skin cancer that that only affects one in one million people, uh, and I was that one, but I was in a great place to be. Uh, in Miami because of the, uh, you know, all the different people coming there to retire. And so they had a great medical staff uh, uh, there. So I was able to connect with them and, and get things taken care of. But I thought to try to fight this thing without any intervention. I said, you know, I, I have a strong faith. Uh, I believe I'm going to get through this on my own. And my wife, Carol, was just like, look, we know where your faith is, but guess what? You're going to need this. <laughs> and 
and I went through it, man. And I tell you, uh, they told me uh, you're going to have to have this particular surgery. So I was in surgery for 15 hours uh, because the, the, the type of cancer was called dermafibrosis sarcoma protuberant. Um, and it had nothing to do with the sun or anything like that. It was just that there was a, an issue with two two cells that ended up just saying, you know what, we want to have a party, and we're going to party with SMART right now. And I went through that, and uh, my first 12 doses, because uh, I went through radiation, um, I went through those, and I was fine. You know, I had friends that want to come play golf, and we went out. They took me out to play golf, you know, as I was going through this. After that 12, uh, 14 uh, dosage, everything went down, downhill. I mean, to a point where I literally could not move. Uh, we go in and get my treatment. Carol would drive me into San Francisco because I changed from, because they said you need, you're going to need to be home around family. This is going to be a difficult one. And I'm thinking, you know, because I talked to other people that may have gone through it, they have gone through it, and they said uh, this is going to be a difficult because they're going to increase your dosage of uh, radiation 10% each day. And I had 37 rounds of radiation. So I'm getting this thing, I'm getting beat up on it. And eventually, man, it got to a point where I literally couldn't move. Um, and my son it was, it was in high school, and I told him, I said, guys, I'm sorry you guys see me like this. I said, Dad, that's not a problem, as long as you're here. And I said, you know what, that's that's the right right way to handle it. I got to focus on today and what I can do. And eventually I got through that. And because I was a coach, the people, because you see the same group of people every day mm-hmm. while you're in treatment. And um, so I went five days a week. And so you started developing friendships. And so we would come in and everyone would say, well, good morning, coach. How you doing? And I, everyone would lie to each other. Oh, I feel okay. I said, all right, you know what? Let's stop lying to each other. <laughs> we all feel terrible. Right. We all feel terrible in here. So let's just tell the truth. And so we started doing that. And said, how you feeling? I feel terrible, but I'm here. And that was it. So we started coaching each other. And I was the head coach of the, of the cancer patients uh, in San Francisco. You know, that's a very interesting story because I went through radiation, 35 sessions Mm -hmm. on my leg back in 1996 and going to the cancer Uh center at UC Davis every day and talking to people. And then when I had my surgery and being on the cancer ward and seeing people that you knew, you you met people that you knew were not going to ever get out of the hospital. And, and I know that, mm. you know, that the cliche is, you know, don't take your health for granted. And, you know, we do take our health for granted. Yeah. And the whole thing. But I got to tell you, when you go through an experience like that, it truly does change your outlook on life. Absolutely. Because you, you're right when you say a lot of those people that are in there, you know, you guys, you complete your treatments, you go and ring the bell. And I was going down and joy and happiness, joy, happiness and pain are floating in the same environment. So I, I'm going down, I've gotten through my treatments, you know, and um, and I'm going down to, re- to ring my bell, to ring the bell. And as I'm down there ringing my bell with my wife and uh, Mark Spears was there, rang the bell. And as I come up the elevator, I see one of the members that uh, that I see every morning. And he, he, he looks down and I go, hey, man, what's wrong? He said, you rang the bell? I said, yes, I did. And he said, well... I'm not going to be able to ring the bell. I said, well, what's wrong, man? What's going on? He said, um, the treatment is not working for me, so I, I'm leaving here today. So here I was at the moment of the excitement of completing it. They said, we got this cancer under control. And yet the pain of it, I couldn't really celebrate because I have formed a partnership with so many of those people. 
that now here several of them are, are leaving because all of a sudden you come in, you see someone's not there. You know, a new person comes in. And uh, at that particular time, my, my time was 11 o'clock. And you see a new person in, a, in another slot. Well, what happened? Those other guys and other people, they weren't going to be able to ring that bell and have to move on, you know. And so that's, that's that was the toughest part about the whole thing, uh, that your celebration of getting through it, and at the same time, someone's not going to make it through it. That is a very powerful message and outlook. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, when we look back at your career, whether high school, two years in mm-hmm. junior, two years at Indiana, then, you know, all of the years that you played in, you know, the CBA after a quick cup of coffee with the Spurs and everything yeah. else, coaching, do, do, if you could go back and change one aspect of your career, would you change anything about it? I, I say, and, it, and I'm glad you bring that up because that's a question that I get, man. If you, if, what if you would have just made the shot and then they told me, people would say, you should have made that shot and ran straight to New York and wait, waited for the draft, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and you would have been this top, top draft pick, you know, but I, I have to go back. If I make, if I change one thing in my life, I don't have the wife that I have and I don't have the kids and I don't have the connection of people that I have now. Sure. If I had changed something, maybe my life would have been different. If I would coach a little bit different, or done some things different with players that my NBA career could have been different as a coach or as a player. But if I change anything, I change everything. And so I had to wrap my head around that, you know, the, the family and the people that I've come in contact with uh, th- throughout the world. Cause I played all over the world. Um, and I still have friends that I talk to now, you know, I just got a call from a friend of mine that I play basketball with. Um, um, and he had a stroke. And he called me up and said, hey, man, I know this is tough, but, uh, man, I just went through this. And I can hear in his, in his voice, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And then he finally told me what had happened. And um, But I don't meet this guy, you know, and he doesn't call me. Now I'm coaching him through this moment now that he's dealing with, you know, a whole brand-new situation for his life. So that's why I said, you know, I got away from that thinking that, boy, if I, if I just change this, we don't realize if we do that, we change everything in our life. Well, I've always said about you, I've always said to my uh, friends and people that I've worked with, I've always said, if you can't play for Keith Smart, then you can't play. Uh, you know, you're just one of the one of the great guys. And th- throughout all the years, seeing you on every stop and just coming up and giving you a quick hello. And I'd run in the carol yeah, sometimes at the Kings games. And, you know, you're just mm-hmm. the best. I, I just wish you nothing but great success. And I'm so happy for you to be with Eric Musselman in Arkansas. I think you're going to have a phenomenal ride there. I wish you nothing but the best. And you know what, uh, Keith, it was great having you on and reminiscing. I greatly appreciate it. No, I thank you, man, because when I was coaching there, you, you told the truth. You you know, I always tell people all the time, reporters and things like that, hey, just, just talk about what you see. You know, it's no secret. You see what's going on with a team or with a player. Just talk about what you see. And I tell you, you did that. You really talked about, you know, where where the Kings were, what, what players were doing, um, you know, what coach was doing, you know. Uh, games that I could have won, games that I didn't win, you know, and you always kind of, kind of just told the story of what was actually happened, and not just saying, okay, you know what, I need to just put my spin on it, you know. So I appreciate that, and uh, that's why when uh, when the call came and you said, hey, can you do my show, and I said, hey, you know what, for sure, you know, because you were very upfront with me 
um, and shared things with me that uh, that really helped me where I'm at now. Because you always come back around people that were truthful to you, and uh, and you have a deal, a great deal of respect because they were so respectful toward you and didn't uh, uh, try to sugarcoat anything, and you didn't. So I appreciate that. Well, I really appreciate that. And, you know, as as we wrap this up, you know, you just spent a half hour with me. You could have spent an extra half hour of sleeping getting ready to deal with Eric Musselman for the whole day. But you chose to do it with me. I'm grateful. <laughs> no, because I told you in the beginning, I got to be up earlier to get ahead <laughs> to catch up and stay with Eric. So I was already on the move already. So uh, to get ready, uh, you know, I've already done some of my work for presentation to him today already. And that's just that's just how you have to do it. And I think it helps, too, because, you know, I've been – these young players want to get to the NBA. They almost uh, break down for the summer. Uh, but they their goal is to get to the NBA. And I, I, I know what it's going to take. I know what a general manager, a uh, player personnel director – is going to be looking for. I can share those things with him, you know. I had a young man that I was talking with, one of our players, and he said, hey, coach, um, I, I know I asked him, I said, can you, do you think you can go to an NBA training camp and, and compete there and play there? He said, yeah, I think I can. And then he said, do you think I can? I said, no, you'll probably get cut in two days. <laughs> he said, what? I said, uh, I said, I told you when I came here, I'm going to tell you the truth. I said, now. And I tell your parents, and that's the beauty of now coaching in college because now you interacting with the parents a great deal now. And I share with, with, with he and his parents, I said, I'm going to tell him the truth 100%. And I said, if you do these things, if you come to practice, work hard, put your extra work in, don't complain because we're all trying to help you. Um, take care of your school. Take care of your classroom work. If you do those things, I didn't say you're going to go to the NBA. I said you have a chance because you take care of those things. So that's been a great part. My thanks to Keith Smart. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Just a class, class act. Now time for our Crowd Ultra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com, sign up, and you can ask me a question right here on my podcast. Joe said, in regards to Simone Biles, do you think mental health is becoming an excuse no one is allowed to criticize? Well, as I said on my last podcast, I'm not really sure how to define mental health. You know, I would think that people should be able to criticize whatever they want, but unfortunately in this country, you can't do that anymore. As far as Biles goes, you know, I'm not familiar with her case. I'm not a doctor. I'm not anyone that has, you know, treated her for any ailments or her athletic endeavors. It's hard for me to comment directly on Biles. But again, I ask, how do you define mental health? Tim asked, was it a good move for the Packers to get Randall Cobb back? Well, we will find out in the very near future. Jake asked, how will LeBron and Westbrook fit together? They'll figure it out. You know, the one thing about Westbrook, I'm not crazy about the guy because his lack of shooting, but he plays his ass off every single possession, as does LeBron. They'll figure it out. Health, obviously, is the biggest issue but I think they will figure it out. Mark wants to know, do you think the Colts can make the playoffs this year? Well, they're already in a tough situation with the quarterback. Carson Wentz is going to have surgery, so he is going to be on the shelf for quite a while. I'll say no, I don't see them as a playoff team. Now, with that said, I wasn't crazy from what I've seen with Carson Wentz lately, but could they make the playoffs? Of course they could, but I'm going to say they will not, all right? Ben wants to know, are people not taking into account Larry Nassar's abuse 
maybe being a part of Simone Biles quitting. Listen, I have a very difficult time commenting on this because I have never been around Biles. Obviously, I've never talked to her. I'm only going by what I see. And based on what I would see, the fact that she is entering the, what is it, the balance beam today, and as you're listening to this, that may have already been completed. Based on that, no. I would say no. Has she had to, and does she still have to overcome obstacles because of that abuse? I'm sure she does. But why did she return to competition today then? So, again, I'm not an expert on Simone Biles and her situation, but from just looking and reading, I would say the answer to that question is no. Chase wants to know, do you believe the Evander Kane accusations? No, I don't. Evander Kane from the San Jose Sharks, uh, his estranged wife came out with accusations that he bets on hockey. I love Kane uh, coming out against the advice of his attorneys. And I've always said this. If you're accused of something and you did nothing wrong, screw your attorneys. Come out and put it on the record. And he did that. He said that they were baseless, stupid. He's never betted on hockey, blah, blah, blah. Uh, You know, went after his ex, talking about how he is a great father, will always take care of his daughter. Um, No, I don't believe it. I believe Evander Kane. I do not believe uh, his estranged wife. Okay, let's say Nick, he says, are you surprised that Belichick says Newton is starting? No, because that doesn't mean he's starting for the whole year. It just means that he is the starting quarterback for right now. Mac Jones, in my opinion, will start for the New England Patriots at some point during the season. Willie wants to know, why would the Kings trade for Tristan Thompson? Willie, my response to that is, I have no freaking idea. Alex asked, does Richard Sherman get signed before the season begins? I would say no, but teams will do anything to win. And so look at Deshaun Watson. Even though he is innocent until proven guilty, when you look at Sherman, he has come out and family members have come out. I'd be very worried. If you want to talk about mental health, I'd be very worried about his state of mind, all right, when you talk about Richard Sherman. David wants to know if I watched the uh, NBA draft. I did not watch the NBA draft. Did you? It's time for Rant. Rant. Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento for your plumbing needs and repairs. And remember, their expert technicians are available to you 24-7. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. So I'm reading and hearing from those that ask, why did the Sacramento Kings take another guard in the draft? This being Davion Mitchell out of Baylor with the ninth overall pick. I'll tell you why. Because the Kings need assets. Because the Kings are not a very good basketball team. And so when you're not a good basketball team, you should never draft for need. You should always draft best player available. Kings fans should have learned this back in the mid-80s when they had an outstanding power forward by the name of Otis Thorpe. And they didn't take a guy by the name of Carl Malone because they already had a power forward. Instead, they took Joe Klein. I ask you, Sacramento Kings fans, do you think they could have found a place for Carl Malone to play on that team? 
Again, the season does not begin tonight. It doesn't matter how many guards are on the roster in August. It only matters what the roster looks like on opening night in October. That's number one. Number two, you can always make trades, including De'Aaron Fox. If Mitchell and Halliburton, for instance, are the real deal and they click, maybe you make a Mitch Richmond, Chris Webber type of a deal. Now, I'm not putting De'Aaron Fox in Mitch Richmond's category just yet, but the point is you could get a hell of a lot in return for Fox. So, no, you draft best player available. I don't understand why so many fans have a problem understanding that. The Kings stink. They need assets, which is another reason why I did not understand why they let Bogdan Bogdanovich go for nothing. But that's done, and what's done is done. In this case, when you're a non-playoff team, don't worry about drafting. For need, you draft what you think is the best available player on the board, regardless of position. Now, will it work out? I don't have a crystal ball. Will Mitchell be a really good NBA player? I don't know, but we'll find out. If he turns out to be a really good player, no one's going to give a damn that he plays guard and the Kings already have a lot of guards. And as I said, only worry about what the roster looks like in October on opening night, not in the first week of August. That is my rant for today. Hey, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. Don't forget to listen as well to my video rants over on YouTube. And if you are listening via Apple Podcast, it would really mean a lot to me if you would take a moment and rate the podcast and leave a comment. Again, my thanks today to Keith Smart. Really enjoyed that conversation. And thank you so much for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.